men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. For this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declared, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young man shall see visions, and your old man shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Brothers, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to. Amen. Good morning. I want to welcome you if you're new. My name is Danny. I am one of the pastors here. We are in a series in the book of Acts. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And uh, our series is called Rise because this particular book is all about 
calling the church forward out of the rubble, out of devastation, out of darkness, to rise and be the people that God has called it to be. The message that you just heard is the actual sermon of Peter from Acts chapter 2. And the reason that we presented it that way is because we wanted you to feel what the first hearers of the sermon felt. You see, this man that stood up wasn't well known to you. You may have seen him around. He seemed rather familiar. This man would have been called Peter. And as word spread that Peter was about to share, you would have gathered and listened because of something that had just happened earlier that week and was still happening called Pentecost. The Messiah had already been crucified about 43 days earlier or so, and he had come back after three days. You had heard that he was speaking with folks around town about his resurrection and about this kingdom that was coming that he wanted to bestow upon people, and then he ascended. Then the Messiah, just before ascending, told his apostles, including Peter, to go back and wait for the Holy Spirit to reveal itself, and that's exactly what happened just a few days prior to this message being spoke. People gathered from all over for they were hearing their language being spoken by these Galileans, these people who were rather uneducated and rather simple and from that part of the country that that schooling is a little less admired and yet they were speaking our language and they were speaking truth and wisdom and all these kinds of things and so they gathered around and it became clear somebody was going to have to address the crowd. Now, of the people that were filled at this point with the Holy Spirit was about 120. And of those people was Peter, the man you just heard from. Now, you would think naturally, because of our own church upbringing, that Peter would be the right one to share. He's bold, he's brash, he's Peter. Of course, he would be the one to share. But what you don't maybe often think about is that Peter was also fairly well rumored to be the one who denied Christ just earlier that month. Peter would have denied him three different times. He would have been known for his failure. He would have been known for his brokenness. He would have been known for the thing he did. He denied his own rabbi. Let's read that real quick in order to put beautiful contrast against this Peter that was just preaching to you now. Luke chapter 22 verse 54 says, Then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned from across the courtyard and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. This uh, entire experience, this entire thing, uh, is something that a lot of us don't really put inside the context of this first sermon that you've heard. You realize the message that was just spoke is the very first church service anyone ever had officially. You just heard the very first message ever given at the very first church sermon, and it was given by Peter. And oftentimes, as I said, we go, yeah, that makes sense. But it wouldn't have made sense to Peter's heart. For he would have realized what he had done. He would have realized who he was. Maybe even a few people knew him. Maybe even in the crowd were a few of the rabbis who helped crucify Jesus. You could feel the violence in their presence. Maybe the little girl that sat at the campfire who recognized him, maybe she was there. See, accusers are always present perfectly when you wish they weren't. They always seem to just show up perfectly. 
when you wish they weren't. And so the crowd is gathered now, listening in, in 120 uh, different languages, perhaps, all that God is doing, and someone has to address, and everyone looks over, and they're looking at each other, and suddenly Peter, I believe, from the Holy Spirit, feels prompted to share, and he says, okay, I'll do it. And maybe the 120, if they were like me, would have been like, there might be somebody a little more strategic we could put up as the face of this new movement than you. All respect, brother. Peter's like, no, this is mine to do. And he steps forward, and he shares with them. Now, there's all kinds of beautiful things happening inside the story that I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about both the man who shared and about how he shared. First, let's start with the man who shared. I told you that he would not have been very well known other than for his failure, for Peter was an average common fisherman, an honorable trade, but nothing that came with a lot of power. He was not well educated, although he did spend three years with Christ, watching and learning. And in the end, the most famous thing he ever did was deny his Messiah. I mean, the rest of the stuff, walking on water and stuff, probably nobody believed, but people saw him deny him. People witnessed that stuff. Isn't that always how it is in your own life? Like, you do all these amazing things in your life, and then you do one single thing that's stupid, and somebody catches it on camera and throws it on social media. And you're like, man, but I did so many other great things, right? It's just the one single thing that gets captured and put out there for the world to see. That's how this was for Peter. He steps forward, and the crowd steps back. In my mind, like, oh, here we go, here we go, it's Peter. Oh yeah, here we go, Peter, go ahead, what do you got to say? But Peter knows that God wants to use him, he knows that God wants to make an example of him because Peter has seen a rhythm throughout the ministry of Christ that we still have a tendency to miss. It's this gospel rhythm of blessing. See, Peter was the first person to publicly shame Christ, have you ever considered that? He's the first person to ever publicly shame Christ knowing he was the Messiah, lots of people shamed him, but he's the first one to actually stand up publicly, know who he was, and say, I don't know him. He carried this burden with him. He carried it all the way back to his fishing boat after Jesus was crucified. And then suddenly, as you know, perhaps one day there's a man on the shore, and he says to Peter and his lonely comrades, he says, did you catch anything? Peter says, no, there's no fish today. And he says, "Throw, throw the net on the other side. Peter's familiar with this, and he looks at the man vaguely out in the distance, and he throws the net on the other side, and instantly the tug of fish upon the net awakens his heart to a tug of reality that that's the Messiah returned. Peter dives into the water, it says, close and all. Every stroke swimming closer to the one he denied. Can you believe it? He's back. He gets to the shoreline, and there's a campfire already made there. My question is, did he just go, campfire, or did he make it old school? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I like to imagine by this time, he's just like fire, (laughs) fire, right? So there's a campfire and then he's making fish. He's making breakfast. The Messiah makes breakfast for people who deny him. You ever thought about that? These are all things you need to just slow down and think about. You worry about coming to Jesus, right? Like, what's it going to be like? It's going to be like fish and bread and campfire. That's what it's going to be like. Oh, but I've done terrible things. Have you denied him knowing who he is? Maybe. I don't know what that interaction is going to feel like. Here's what it's going to feel like. You're going to be soaking wet and cold. He's going to be dry and warm and willing to be a part and to bring nourishment to your life. It's a pretty physical picture of what it might be like. Peter sits down shaking. Jesus gives him food. Conversations start. Where'd you go? How was it? What's happening? As the conversations die down, there's that awkward pause, right, that always happens when you know that what needs to be talked about is about to be talked about. Jesus looks up and says, Peter... 
the disciples go instantly quiet, like all good brothers do when they know somebody's about to get in trouble. Like, <laughs> nothing but the sound of fire and the one disciple who won't eat with his mouth closed. <laughs> Peter looks up and says, yes, Lord. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you. Conversation starts back up. Somebody wants to break the awkward silence. But sure enough, 10 minutes later, that same pause is in the air. What's his face is still chewing rapidly. And Jesus says, Peter. And he knows this time. And he says, yes, Lord. And he says, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. This time it's nothing but silence for 30 seconds until Jesus says one more time, Peter. And this time Peter makes strong eye contact for he's ready to embrace whatever punishment he deserves. And he says, do you love? And I, I always feel like he interrupts at this point. I just feel like just before the me could get out, Peter says, you know that I love you. And then Jesus gives him his marching orders. Then go, build my church, feed my sheep, be the Peter I've called you to be. Three times you denied me and three times now I have covered that denial in the knowledge that your love is not enough, but mine is. Peter leaves there transformed, different. This is the stuff that I believe is going through his mind as he's getting ready to face this hostile crowd that is interested and moved by what's going on through Pentecost and through these people who are speaking their languages. And Peter steps forward and he preaches that sermon with brothers. Maybe there's some laughter in the back. Maybe there's name calling. Maybe someone makes the sound of a rooster's crow. These are all things we don't know. But Peter keeps preaching and preaching and preaching because he learned something that you and I forgot. And that is that God wants to use the very broken thing inside our lives to bring beauty to himself. See, Peter was the first to shame Christ, yes, publicly. But Peter was also the first to publicly share Christ. The very thing that held him, the very thing that captured him is the very thing that God used to awaken this world to his presence because it is only God that would use a public shamer to be a public sharer. I mean, why not pick somebody else less known, somebody with a, a less of an uphill battle to present to this crowd? But God says, no, I will use the darkest, most broken part of your story to bring the greatest amount of light and beauty to others. This is what, in scripture, I call the crimson principle. And it stuck with me a long time ago when the verse Isaiah slapped me across the face and heart. Isaiah 1.18, God says to you, and he said to me, come now, Danny, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God says, I will use the crimson in your life. And I will turn the crimson in your life, the fragile in your life, the embarrassing in your life, the shame-filled in your life, and I will speak life into it, and I will be, allow it to become something beautiful and useful for me. Have you not realized yet, brothers and sisters, God so often uses someone's specific brokenness to bring about their spectacular beauty? That is his way. That is his rhythm. That is his purpose. This is what he's about Peter shames, Peter shares. 
This is how God moves. This is the the orchestra of how his symphony of love is played out through people who don't deserve to be there because it is only through the people who don't deserve to be there that God is made seen. For if you deserve to be there and play your instrument so well, it's because of your training and your wisdom and your experience and your well-lived life. But when you show up with no instrument, dirt under your fingernails and a smell of weariness, and you pull it up to your chest and something beautiful happens, people stop looking at you and instead they look at the conductor because they know this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Listen to the sound coming from that person's life. Listen to the sound coming from their story. Do you know who they used to be? Do you know what they used to do? I once knew them. I once saw them. And yet God says, I know, but you don't know what I know. I don't know what they can be. You don't know what they can be. You don't know what they can do. You don't know how I see them. This is exactly what's happening in this story with this particular man. The sermon means a lot, but the man sharing the sermon speaks so much. This is a scarlet to snow, crimson to wool kind of experience for these people. With Peter, God used the worst decision of his life as fodder for his greatest victory. God wants to use the worst decisions in your life as fodder, as fuel for your greatest victories. But you got to be willing to feel that Holy Spirit prompting and say, I'll stand up. Because I guarantee you those other 11 said, I think there might be somebody else better. I guarantee you new converts said, Peter, listen, people know who you are. I guarantee you in your life, even those who love you will share with you. I don't know if this is for you. Don't you remember what happened last year? It's got to be you and your willingness to use the crimson and allow God, I should say, to use the crimson in your life to make you white as freshly fallen snow. This is exactly what happened in Peter's story. The very next verse after the sermon, verse 40, says, and with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. First thing as a pastor I think about is, do you know how long it would take to baptize 3,000 people? I mean, even with 11 helpers, if I was Peter, it would be crazy. Somebody's having to organize meals for that baptism. How unbelievable would that? And then, and then this. It's over, right? Peter's once again soaking wet. Maybe it takes him back to that beach. Maybe someone started a campfire. Maybe someone made fish. Someone sits down next to him and he's exhausted for they've been baptizing for two and a half days. Someone says, Peter, do you know how many people were baptized today? He says, I have no idea. And they smile and say, 3,000 people. Now, to anybody else, the number would be huge. But to Peter, in my mind, the number's significant. Why not 2,500? Why not 3,400? Why 3,000? See, in the rhythm of God's grace when he's trying to show us how he works he does these little things these little crescendos these little silent pauses where everybody has to sit and reflect and he does this stuff all the time that we miss he takes the one who denied him three times he then redeems him through the words of i love do you love me three times and then what he does is take the one with the rotten mouth who's famous for his words of destruction 
who's famous for his three times of cursing, his three times of shaming, he then redeems what he said with his words, a thousand people saved per denial. A thousand people saved per denial. I wrote, uh, uh, for each failure of his past mouth, God redeemed his new words a thousand times. You don't think sitting at the fire, eating the bread, being warmed by the day, soaking wet, remembering what Jesus said, that that didn't sink into his heart and drive him forward into the calling that he's been put forward to seek, which is to be the, a rock of the future church. My friends, I'm here to tell you, God wants to redeem your past failures a thousand times per incident. It's what he does. It's never just you're better. It's your better and with Jesus. It's your better and with God. You're not just a better husband. You're a better husband and you're helping other husbands be better. You're not just a better uh, wife. You're a better wife and you're helping. You're not just a better parent. You're not just a better steward. You're not just a better Christian. It's a better and kind of evolution that the Holy Spirit's blessing upon your life brings every single time. If you're willing to first be, listen to the prompting, stand up and be willing to open your mouth in the midst of your story, Sharing from right where you are. Do you know why people don't want to share their stories? Because they're scared to death their crimson's going to hang out. They're scared to death they're going to be exposed. Guess what? You're already exposed. Nobody really believes you are what you present you are. Because people know in their own hearts that they aren't what they present. You don't think I get on this stage every single week with a prayer that God would use my brokenness to do something beautiful? I have got on this stage week after week after week after having a difficult week with my wife or one of my children or my, something else in my world that looks very similar to your world and just felt like a fraud. I'm going to walk up on the stage and tell people how to live their lives. I don't even know how to live my life. I don't even know what to do. I was driving down 500 to go to church where I work in the pouring rain in my truck my Uncle Dave called me. I looked down. wasn't on my phone. I looked and saw that it was him. I looked back up, and there is a car directly in front of me with its brakes on. Quick note from the rest of the story on. It's Dave's fault that he called me, and I had to look. <laughs> so quick little note. I look up, right? Okay? But I have been in a few of these situations. And on 500, right, heading south, there is a large median. Okay, a large open area between the, the, the concrete there and the other cars. And so somehow through God's glory, I yelled and swerved left. And next thing you know, I'm doing 50 miles an hour down this median. But it's so close to each side. I mean, it's like Star Wars when they're taking off from the thing. I mean, it's like all the way down. And I don't want to skid and hit anybody. So I just slow down the whole time. I am nervous. I don't look cool. It's not like something from a movie. I am scared to death because I almost smashed and killed that person, hurt myself. Who else knows? All of tra traffic is stopped. And I finally come to a halt. And I'm breathing so heavy. And I'm sick. You know that? Like, I'm sick. Like, I didn't get in an accident, but I'm sick. And I look over, and I'm perfectly stopped next to a state patrolman. Perfectly. Window to window. <laughs> and he does not have a face of compassion on at all. Nor should he. So he kindly lets me in, and then kindly pulls me over. This is my signal for turning on the lights. I don't know where it is, officers. I know we have a lot here, but it, to me, it's like this. It's probably more like this or like this. I don't know. Turn them on. 
I pull over, I'm, my heart is beating, I'm red, I'm drenched, I'm frustrated at this point. And here's the best part. I had just been given a temporary license like the morning before this because mine expired and I never got one. So I've got a stupid license that is like an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and I'm frustrated and I'm looking for it and I don't remember where I put it because I just grabbed it thinking who would ever need it because I, I don't get pulled over that much anymore. And now here he is. He comes up, I roll down my window, and he gets very, very close to my face. And he says, what do you think you're doing? And I became instantly defensive. And see, here's the problem with Danny. Danny, whose beauty might be his ability to sit on a stage for 40 minutes and talk, has a broken side of him, which means he also can just rattle off things quite quickly that aren't very respectful. And so Danny said, oh, I'm sorry, I was just saving people's lives. <laughs> I was angry, I was super upset, right? Because Uncle Dave called me, right? And he says, is that right? Look to me like you almost killed a bunch of people. And I said, look to me like you weren't paying attention in the first place, right? I'm upset, I'm upset, right? Then he says, give me your license. And I said, fine. And I reach and find it and I go, and he's like, what is that? I said, it's a license. And he looks at it and he goes, unacceptable. And I said, what do you want me to do, man? That's what they gave me. And he goes, I want a picture ID and I want it now. Right? So I said, okay. And I pulled out my old one with a stamp in it. And I go, how about one with a hole in it? And he goes, works for me. About that time, another car pulls out in front and he goes, who's this? I said, I don't know. And he goes, who is it? Right? Officers do not like that. I'm friends with quite a few police officers, and they do not like when multiple cars pull up and no one knows what's going on. Like I've got church backup or something. Like, oh, calling it in. Get a deacon down here quick. You know, I don't know. So I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. So they pull up. Okay, they pull up and they park. And he goes, well, I'm going to go check out who it is. And I said, that's fine. I don't know who it is. Right? And I'm starting to get calmer, and he's starting to get calmer, and he walks up, and he's gone quite a while with them. I'm watching him talk and, and then suddenly they drive off and he walks back and he's a little calmer and he goes, do you know who that was? And I said, I told you, I don't know who that was. And he hands me back my large license <laughs> and he says, that was a witness. And I said, great. What does that mean? Cause I don't even know what happened. I looked up, there was a car. Next thing you know, I'm driving in the media and he goes, here's the thing that you need to know. And he was super great about this. He said, there's a lot of people in this area on 500, when traffic gets bad, they drive in the median to try to get to the turn lane up 100 yards. That's what I thought you were doing. I thought you were driving in the median, you saw me and then slowed down and tried to like, you know, like you were caught. And I said, that's not what I was doing. He goes, I know that and I believe you. And I said, why? And he goes, because this lady was behind you and she said that the car in front of you pulled in front of you suddenly out of nowhere and then slammed on their brakes and that if you hadn't driven how you drove, you would have hurt her or yourself or other people. Okay, now at this point, I'm starting to get emotional because I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling understood, right? And, it, and he's becoming less and less agitated because he sees that I wasn't intentional with what I did. And suddenly there's this awkward pause of understanding and then he's like, so where are you headed? And I'm like, down to church, I pastor. <laughs> and he smiles. And he's like, be on your way. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. I'll do better next time. <laughs> and of course, I got no ticket or even a warning.
My, my point of this extravagant, colorful story is that oftentimes in people's lives, we do things through our subconscious and through our stories we don't even know why we do. We don't, we, we don't know how the situation in front of us got there. I shared this a couple weeks ago in my emotional health journey. That's why we're going to do this emotional health class. and I think we're going to probably do it again because so many of you are interested, but there are things you do in your life that you don't even know how you got there because it came from stories with your parents or work or trauma or, or things that have happened in your life that you don't understand why you rage. You don't understand maybe why you drink. You don't understand why you're drawn to pornography instead of a real life relationship. You don't understand why you lie. You don't understand why you're seeking this, this emotional high that you're always out trying to find late at night. You don't know. And oftentimes you don't know because stuff has happened in your life that causes you to need help, to need a witness, to need somebody who says, I see what happened in your life. When Peter stood up before these people, do you understand what he was doing? He was being a witness to them that God can even use me. And so they were in the crowd. For some of them in the crowd, actually, I would, I would say 90% of them in the crowd had earlier screamed with their own mouths, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What better person to lead the screamers of crucify him than the one who denied them? You wouldn't want to hear a message about the Messiah if you were in the crowd screaming crucify him. What if you spit in his face when he passed by your shop? What if you slapped him as he fell down? What if you kicked him? What if you spit gravel upon him? What if you did something and then you hear he's the Messiah? How are you going to recover from that? Without Peter who stands before them and says, I denied him three times, and yet I am still convinced that through his love and the power of the cross and the power of Calvary, that no matter how I've lived my life, no matter how weak I've been, no matter the decisions I've made or the secrets I hold, his love is strong enough to endure and his love is strong enough to overcome. And I am a witness to you of where you are now and how you can be set free. For in the name of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, your sins are forgiven. What better person could do it than Peter? See, God is always orchestrating. God is always moving. Every person in this audience today is a person that God has orchestrated to be here right now to hear this message. God is tired of you holding on to your stuff. He wants it. It's his. He paid for it through the cross. It belongs to him. Have you figured that out yet? Your sins belong to him. They're his to redeem. They're his to judge. They're his to move. They're his to warp and build and, and execute. They're his. And so when you fail, give those things to God who loves them and watch him take your crimson and turn it into snow. Watch him purify your life so that you can go back out into this world, so that I can go back out into this world, walk on stage and say, hey man, I'll be honest, 80% of this, in my soul I feel like a fraud, but because of scripture and because of spirit and because I am a work in progress, I can stand up here confidently and say, I, God can use me. And you'll hear things. We'll all hear things about each other. It's how it works. Especially the, the more movement we have, right? The more God's blessing. People will say, well, you've heard about this, right? You've heard about that. You know what I started saying with people when they come at me and, you know, an article comes out in, in the newspaper and then someone comes to me and says, hey, didn't you know? And aren't you part of this? And I say, oh, man, I knew all kinds of stuff. Some of what you know is true. Some of what you know is not true. Here's what I do know. That I am a part of this broken world and that there is beauty in my life and that I get to walk on this stage in the, as an example of how God can use my story to bring glory back to him. And people will talk about you and people will talk about you and people will talk about all of us. And the reality is all of it, no matter how real, no matter how fake, all of it will be used for God's glory if we're willing to step up and go, I'll share. And there are people in this audience right now and 
you think people will talk about you if you step up, your crimson might show. I'm here to be an example to you today. It will show. It'll all show. What you end up with at the end of the day, though, is a life willing to believe that no matter how much crimson's in your story, the cross can redeem it. And from that place, you can walk bold. You can be confident. You can be secure in your faith, in your movement, in what God's doing because of Jesus Christ who died for you. Once again, God often uses someone's specific brokenness to bring about their spectacular beauty. And I am an example of that and a witness to you that God wants to do the same in your life. Peter's sermon, because it was so powerful, has been a really uh, often discussed sermon in great detail as the, an example put forth by the Holy Spirit for how each of us have been called to share our faith. Every person in this room, by the way, is called to do what I do. You know that, right? Every person in this room is called to share their faith. Maybe not on a stage, but called to share their faith with a spouse, with a loved one, over coffee, at work, whatever that looks like. You are called to share your faith. And just in case you think I'm making it up, Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. He didn't say pastors. He didn't say worship leaders. He didn't say Bible study teachers. He didn't say people who are established in their faith who have at least been discipled for 10 plus years. He didn't say people who journeyed out. He didn't say people who have enough wisdom or people who've never been divorced or people who've never made a mistake. That's not what he said. He said, go. Who? Go. Who? Go. This is what he said. This is what Peter is a witness to. This sermon, though, And this idea of how Peter shared his faith is a wonderful example of how really God is calling us to do it. There's three primary things that Peter did inside his sermon that we are supposed to be replicating still today. The first one is this. His sermon was simple. Peter spoke in simple and understandable terms that the people in his audience who shared his culture and language could understand. Simple and understandable terms. People shouldn't have to guess at your meaning. Share from you. Share from your story, your stuff. I said earlier, one of the biggest reasons people don't share their, their, uh, their faith is because they're worried their crimson's gonna hang out, right? That their stuff's gonna be brought forward. Bring your stuff forward. Put it up on a stage, turn on the lights, make the mic hot and share with people your story because God has redeemed it. And like Peter, you are an example of what other people are struggling with that God can redeem. Share from you in a way that you would want people to understand. Next, it was scriptural. Peter quoted scripture and alluded to passages throughout his message. He didn't rely upon his own insights, his man-made doctrinal conclusions, or his own human perspective. This is a really important thing. I want to kill something in the church right now. Stop quoting me to people. Quote Jesus to people. Nobody cares what I say. I don't care what I say. Quote scripture to Jesus to people. Quote scripture to people. That's what people need to hear for. That is what's long lasting. Now you may say, listen, you had me at simple. I can do simple. I can share my story, but you want me to share scripture. This is where I start to fall off the wagon. Well, let me give you two. First one, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You could preach five years of sermons from this one verse. You can have it. It's a gift. Anytime you're with anybody who's struggling with faith, you can go to this verse. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you just break it down. You start off with for all. That includes everybody. All have sinned. That means fallen short. It says right there. Of the glory, which is the perfection of God who created all things. All of us need God. If you don't have God, then you're going to live a life of incredible need and a life that is in great need of the forgiveness he offers. If this one's too complicated, let me put another one up. 
<laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life or everlasting life. This is John 3.16. Again, break it down. For God so loved. God's love is unbelievable. It's in the name of our church. It's chesed. You know that chesed or chesed means the unwavering motherly love of God. It's the kind of love where you, I've shared this before, where you go to prison for 10 years, you come out and everybody's left you except your one mom who came and visited you every weekend has been praying for you because you're hers. That's the kind of love this word means. And he gave his only son because of that love. This son's name was Jesus Christ. And if you believe in this son that was given because of love, then you will not perish because there is a real place called hell. There is a place where you go that there is no God. And that is where people who perish go. And, but if you choose God and his love, then you become a person who goes to eternal life with God in this place called heaven. All of this is packed in this one verse. So when I say to be simple, share your story. When I say to be scripture, pick one. Memorize it, live on it, and be prepared for God will bring you people to share with. Then the last thing to do is to make it Christ-centered. No matter how good your sermon is, if it doesn't end with a Christ exclamation point, it was a worthless sermon. Everything is built upon Christ. Peter repeatedly turned every point in his sermon back to Christ. Consequently, the people responded as though the crucified and risen Lord Jesus stood before them. Right in the middle of that sermon, there's a turn where the reader says, repent. There's a verse there. And it's when the people responded to what they were hearing, Acts 2.37, and said, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? It's because he brought them to the cross of Christ. Every person you share through every verse you share should be brought to the cross of Christ. And that's it. Peter's first sermon to the church still to this day is the sermons we try to, to mimic here. They're simple, they're scriptural, and they're Christ-centered. That's it. They don't have to be 40 minutes long. They can be four minutes long. But they have to be shared. And they're shared through your simple story. They're shared through scripture, one verse that you've picked that the Holy Spirit has given you and they're shared and landed upon Christ. If you can do this, then it won't matter what the crowd's response is. You will have done your job. You will have planted your seed and the gospel will be moved forward. In the end, what we know is that the cross of Calvary has already done the work. We are just witnesses proclaiming his praise because it is in that end that we know that within our deepest crimson, we need for Jesus to make us white as snow, and he does. And it is for this reason alone that we must share the name of Jesus. That's it. So there's people in here right now. You've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You have never, ever, ever made that decision. There's people in here right now that you have allowed your crimson even though you've accepted Christ in your life, to keep you tied down, not realizing it's the very thing God wants to use inside your story. You feel like your mistakes are too big. You feel like your failures are too far and there's nothing that you can do. But I'm here to tell you right now, as a son of the Most High God and an example to you of how God can use the brokenness in a person to bring forth some kind of beauty, that that just simply isn't true. That he loves you, that he wants you, that he cares for you that you're important to him. And so I wanna ask that everyone's heads would bow. And I'm gonna ask that you right now go to that secret place, that place that you hide, that place that you don't share, that place of regret and fear. 
I'm going to ask that you go to that place and you say these simple words, God, it's me. Just say them in your heart, God, it's me. I ask you to come into my life, forgive me for my sins, for my crimson. I profess that through the blood of Jesus Christ who died upon that cross for me, that I am forgiven. I ask that you would renew me, God, and use my brokenness for beauty. That, Lord, you would assure me of my place with you in eternity. And that you would make my days upon this earth as long as they are fruitful for you. Lord, I ask that in this room right now, we would all just lean in to your story. That, God, you would lean into people who have been bound and held back. People who have lived in bondage to the things that, to the words that have been spoken over them. To the acts that have been done to them to the trauma in their life, to the things they've done to other people. God, all of those things can be redeemed for your glory. So Lord, in repentance, we come to you as a church. God, I know in my life, I ask for forgiveness publicly in this place. I thank you, Father, for the way you've redeemed me. I thank you for the family you've given me, for the church that you've blessed me with. I thank you, Father, for the way you've provided so many witnesses that have encouraged me along the way to create a place that is safe and authentic and real. I thank you, Lord, for you are a good and mighty God. And you are worthy of our praise. I pray that you would fill this room right now with the presence of your peace and love, that people in this room would feel something they have never felt before, a lightness, a forgiveness, a calling to become and do more. May we rise, Lord, to this purpose to this life song, to this rhythm of blessing that you have asked us to be a part of. We lift your name above it all. And everybody said, amen.